Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now please enjoy this episode. All right, guys. This is the Deep Dive on Thursday, and I'm here with Ryan Henderson, and you know him from Multibagger Madness. <laughs> it is Ian right. Gray. Uh, I saw that that finished up. How'd it go? It seemed like you got a lot of engagement there on that. Yeah, show. a lot of people as the tournament went on, people got more and more excited. Nice. Um, I've already got, we, we crowned Fastly the champion this past week, so... So um, short fastly for the next year because it's <laughs> exactly. I think that's All what right. we should learn from this. But um, we've already got a bunch of people cl- clamoring for the next tournament. I think we're going to have to give it a break for a week or two, or maybe a few months before we do another tournament. But I'll, I'll pitch you. It was a lot of value. fun. So deep value madness. Deep value madness. Deep value madness. Some new followers in there. Yeah, exactly. Got to diversify the follower base. Yeah, yeah. It's like hard. It was like a little hard to follow if you were just looking at it on the Twitter, like your Twitter timeline, because it would like pop out out of order. And yeah. then they'd have like the older posts. I was like, I can't follow this. Yeah. You blame Twitter on that one. Yeah. All right. Well, we're talking Lemonade, the insurance company um, today. So Ryan, uh, you want to get into what they do and the history of the company? So before I get into Lemonade specifically, I want to break down the insurance business as a whole, because- uh, it's something a lot of people refer to, but don't always understand. So for any listeners that are unfamiliar, this is sort of how it goes. Insurance companies collect money every month from their customers in the form of a premium. That's a lot like your subscription. You're basically paying for them to cover you in the event that something bad happens. Insurance insurance companies, um, sorry, then if something bad happens to the customer, whether it's a house on fire or something like that, and it needs repairs, insurance companies will cover that with the pooled premiums from all their different customers. And so the goal is to collect enough money that they can easily cover the claims um, and then also have enough to run the business and have enough float, which is all the pooled premiums together to invest. That's sort of the Berkshire model. That's sort of who, I don't know, did he popularize it? That's kind of where- He popularized the term float, yeah. um, And so as long as the insurance companies have enough to cover the claims- they can really have a good return on that money somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of diversifying the risk of the consumer and then allowing the um, you know the company to make a little money on the yeah. back end. And so Lemonade is attempting to bring that process into the digital age through artificial intelligence. They offer homeowner, homeowner's insurance, rental insurance, and pet health insurance. And they simplify the process through two different chat bots. There's Maya, which is their client intake bot. So she processes the information for potential customers and she quotes them a price. Then they have Jim, the artificial intelligence used to process claims. That's obviously a little harder than just taking data and giving someone a price. Um, 
but obviously that lowers the cost on lemonade side because they don't have to employ people to do that. Yeah, glad it's not named Brett though. Yeah, that really is very true. Just um, like Alexa. Lemonade is a very young company though. So this is the history. They were founded in April of 2015 by Dan Schreiber. Am I getting that right, in? And that's exactly Chai right. Winninger. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah, that's like the first time I really uh, got them right. One um, for one. But uh, Schreiber was the former president of Power Mat, and Shy was the co-founder of Fiverr, who we just did a recent show on. I think that was our la- latest deep oh, dive. Wow, really? Yeah. And then when they started, apparently they just knew they wanted to start something. They weren't like inspired to do this originally. They got together, and then they were like, "What is a legacy industry that needs basically to become digitized?" Mm-hmm. And they came across insurance and were like, that's definitely the one. And they had their first funding round in 2015. I imagine it was, and it was 13 million in a seed round led by Sequoia Capital. I imagine it's pretty easy for them to get investors when they are just piggybacking off of Fiverr and PowerMat. I don't really know what PowerMat is, but it sounds like they were pretty well established. Strong reputation, yeah. Um, Some other notable investors that have tagged along include Google Ventures and Ashton Kutcher's Sound Ventures. (laughs) Ashton Kutcher, he may be a slight red flag. uh, What do you think? He invested in WeWork, so... Uh, I don't know. You got to, when you can get a good name like that, you got to take the opportunity. Just get it. Yeah. As long as the business is sound, it can help you raise a little money. That that might be free marketing too. Free marketing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it can't hurt. Yeah. As long as the business is good. Industry. All right. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the industry. One note, when I was searching to research the industry, I looked up renters insurance industry on Google and Lemonade had the top ad. Uh, So is that a good use of their capital? Maybe. I think it's it's not bad. I don't mind. Yeah. Get that uh, name out there. So it's estimated 37% of renters get insurance and then 50% of those who rent are under 30. So the target market for Lemonade is to acquire the customers that are close to our age, someone that is under 35, under 40, people that are actually renting and not owning homes yet. That is how they enter. And yes, they do offer a homeowner's product, but that's kind of newer. They want to you know, target people that are renting. Um, competitors are basically everyone, uh, all state, nationwide, travelers, state farm, tons of different places. Um, Typically renters insurance will cost about $150 a year. And then homeowners insurance, people will spend about $1,200 a year. So that's where all the money is made um, is the homeowners insurance, but it's going to be tougher for them to enter that market because there's a lot of established players in there. And the homeowners aren't really the younger demographic that's going to be, you know, for this AI bot um, digitally native you know, they're not going to be inclined to do that if you're like some 65-year-old person like, who owns a home. A representative, Maya. Yeah. They're like, who is that? Is that? Can I go to the office to see her? Um, and then the pet insurance market, they're new into this, but it's a lot smaller. It's $1.71 billion. Um, so that's pretty sizable for a company, Lemonade, but they're focused mainly on the U.S. right now. And I think that's going to expand to Europe slowly. And for the pet insurance specifically, um, that's kind of a bolt-on thing, you know, all right, that's a differentiator where you can choose Lemonade because they offer that in a bundle. Um, and then just for some broad metrics, insurance is now 11% of GDP in the United States and then Allstate. So looking at one of their competitors has an operating margin of about 13.7%, just to give a little, you know, feel for what type of profit margins an insurance company will have at scale. All right, Ian, what about you? Yeah, so we'll dive into the management and ownership a little bit. You mentioned the co-founders, uh, Ryan, and they are really interesting between Daniel Schreiber, who's the CEO, and Shai Winninger, who's the COO. They're kind of, they're a high-powered group. They came, like you said, from, Schreiber came from PowerMat Technologies, which is one of the 
leaders in wireless charging technology and was actually founded by the current Nanox CEO, the medical imaging company. Ooh, um, that's a controversial name. It is a controversial name, but it, it kind of goes to show a lot of these, um, he was, he's Israeli as well. And just, there's all these, um, there's this Israeli tech kind yeah. of phenomenon going on that we're seeing both with Fiverr last, last week in our deep dive. And now this week with Lemonade, um, you know, Winninger, obviously the co-founder and CTO of Fiverr. So there's just, you. there's a lot of interesting stuff going on over there. Um, so they have some startup cred. They kind of, they've, they've gone out and proven it. Um, also relatively modest compensation for the founders, about $360,000 per year. So it's not, you know, it's still, it's still a good chunk of change, but it's nothing crazy. We kind of, at least I like to see that, that they're not taking home huge stock bonuses as well. And yeah, and I, I think, I mean, they probably have a ton of equity. So yeah. there's not, I mean, and now they'll probably get a lot more in Mm -hmm. stock options um as they've gone public now but based on their s1 yeah 330,000 or whatever yeah. it is 360 that's really not a lot for a top exec you need, yeah you need some liquidity to live but yeah if someone was taking home five million here um it doesn't really make sense especially if they own like 10 percent of the company yeah exactly um they are and one of the other good notes is um it's about 11 percent insider ownership so they've still got a lot of um a good chunk of the company they're aligned with shareholders they're also doing a lot of stock-based compensation for the rest of their management team who wasn't founders so their cfo um and some others and so that's good to see um one interesting kind of note about the management team is they talk about they really want to be transparent and i think we're going to get more into that later on but one of the ways that comes through is their guidance is actually really specific they'll they'll provide guidance for capital expenditures they're providing guidance for multiple different margins and so they're really trying to give people a good picture of the company. Um, one last note I'll make on the management, the management team is they've made Lemonade into a certified B Corp. And for people who are unfamiliar, a certified B Corp is quote, businesses that meet the highest standards of verified social and environmental performance, public transparency and legal accountability to balance profit and purpose. Um, so they kind of, it's, they score well with this outside organization that can certify them as a B Corp. And they and do a one lot of the reasons. Of, oh, they do ahead. a lot of charitable stuff, correct? Exactly. They do. Yeah. They do have some charitable components, and also this transparency um, is a big piece of that too. And so the CEO has said, perhaps the costliest problem in insurance is distrust. And so part of this B Corp certification is trying to help with that distrust problem. Yeah, and piggybacking off that, if you think about the legacy providers of insurance, you basically are taking the premiums and then as much as you can outside of the claims, that's what you want to invest. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of reasons to dispute claims and say mm -hmm. like, mm, that doesn't really qualify or basically screw the customer because you need that investable money. Now, if that money is going to charity other than, cause the way lemonade works is they take a 25% fixed fee from that premium and the rest either goes to the reinsurers or goes to a charity. So the only person yeah. you're screwing either, whether you have insurance fraud or as the insurer, the only people you're screwing is the charity. Mm -hmm. Not, and you're not really helping yourself much. No, it could help their brand for sure. Um, get, you know, better light in consumer, consumer size. Yeah. So incentive wise, it looks good mm -hmm. from the outside. Yeah. Definitely no red flags there, right Ian? No. Yeah. Agreed.
Okay, um, I'm gonna get to the valuation. Uh, pretty simple because they're unprofitable and they just went public. So ticker is LMND if you want to look it up. Enterprise value 3.99 billion, so basically four billion. Price of $66.58 as of our recording on October 13th. EV to sales is 40 and a half. Classic. We had a streak here of companies trading at above EV to sales of 30, although they are growing quickly, as Ryan will note next. Um, so no dividend, as you probably expect as well. And we don't really see their history of stock-based compensation um, as a public company. So that's something to look out for for the next few quarters here. EV to gross profit is 125. So they're not, I mean, they've scaled them quite quickly, but their gross profit um, is not going to be as high as a typical software company because they're still running an insurance business. It's just on software. And then their margin adjusted EV to sales, which is what we do internally. And it's EV divided by uh, gross profit or no, sorry, gross margin and sales growth. And that is 119.7. So very high, but it can compress if the sales growth continues and that gross margin can expand. Something else I'd like to see was their adjustments were not dramatic. Like their adjusted EBITDA, I think was 2 million off their net loss, which are like less than 1% almost. Shows frugality. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I'll, I'll dig into the earnings. For 2019, they had 67.3 million in revenue. That was up 199% year over year, obviously growing really fast. Their adjusted gross margin is 17%. I believe their gross, mar- their gross margin was higher than their adjusted. I'm not sure yeah, how that happened. Just, it's- they do something specific for um, an insurance company where they make some adjustments, but on the income statement gap wise, it was like 32%. But I think the adjusted one is what to look for because it's like different how an insurance company works with money coming in and money coming out. Yeah. And then they had a net loss of 108 million. So their net margin was negative 161% versus negative 235% in the prior year. So it's trending in the right direction. Nice. nice. It's obviously still not great, but you know, they are scaling up and this, you know, they, they're going to spend a lot. They're in their early days. The company yeah. was founded in 2015. So it's very young. Um, and then as, as of quarter end, they had 729,000 customers up 96% year over year premium per customer at the end of the quarter was $183. That's low. It seems like, so mm-hmm. that's cheap. Um, and then as gross written premiums have increased from $9 million to $116 million over three years, gross loss ratios have declined from 161% to 72% in the most recent quarter. It's really strong. So, yeah, a lot of positive financials to look at. Yeah. All right, Ian, uh, wrap things up with the balance sheet here. Yep. So as you'd expect with an insurance company, it's a fairly conservative balance sheet. Um, they've got a cash balance of about $295 million. Um, one interesting note on the balance sheet is they had a lot of preferred stock that was basically going to get converted into common stock upon the IPO, but that makes it look like they have a negative book value currently on their latest financial statements. When in reality, if that does get converted to common stock, they're going to be back into a positive book value, um, which we, like I said, we would expect with an insurance company. Um, They have reserves of about $86 million of cash that they just have to, to my understanding, they just have to hold in cash um, for claims that are paid out. Um, And then So one way to kind of value some of these insurance companies sometimes is based on book value. So just a quick note, they have, they're trading about 13 times book value. 
making that preferred stock to common stock conversion, whereas Allstate um, is about 1.2 times. So okay. they are trading at a premium relative to other insurance companies, but that's to be expected with um, all the growth, growth that Ryan was talking about. Yeah, you got to expect that runway for growth. I mean, if they're growing 200%, if they can keep up triple digit growth or even anywhere close to that for a few years, they'll get close to that number. Welcome back from the ad break. If you're watching on YouTube, as we should mention every show, I guess uh, there won't be an ad break there. So it's just going to be a quick jump. And now we're going to hit the second half of the show. First up is competitive advantages. Uh, who wants to go first this week? I'll go. I'll okay. Go. Ryan, okay. Stealing it. this one seems really intuitive and is why they are competitively advantaged. And I put pricing because, and the reason they're able to pass through cheaper prices to the customers because they're the digital first nature of their business, the AI and the look, I mean, the AI, the data, all that stuff allows you to lower overhead costs and charge customers less, which then becomes a scale game, right? The whole Bezos, your margin is my opportunity thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's uh, that that's obviously the major competitive advantage. It's also a lot easier, in my opinion, to go directly at this than it is for a large incumbent to try to switch and fire hundreds of and thousands of insurance employees feels like a uh, classic innovators dilemma yeah yeah definitely what about you all right yeah i'll go next um they go after customers before they reach the typical target demographic for a traditional insurance company so whatever age that is whatever um, income bracket it is so they're competing against no one for a lot of these people that are maybe our age like 25 not much income and they're kind of landing and expanding i know that's an overused term for SaaS companies but I think it's a big advantage for them. And they specifically mentioned this a few times in the S1. So that's how they want to go and then upsell people as they, you know, hopefully are on the platform for a decade or more. Yeah. I mean, think about it. we're all sort of younger. Renters. And so, renters yeah. Right. The, the, the younger people tend to be the renters as they're accumulating more cash so they can put down a down payment on a house or something like that. If mm -hmm. you can lock them in during that period, that's a good way to start. I agree. Yep. All right. Ian, yeah. what do you got? Yeah, so I'm going to touch on their AI platform and what they call their state-of-the-art infrastructure. Um, they seem to have a huge head start in modernizing writing policies and paying claims for modern consumers in a quick, efficient, um, cost-efficient manner, uh, especially compared to the legacy insurance providers. It's just a big um, advantage for them that they can just get someone signed up for a policy like that. You never have to talk to any sort of insurance agent. You're not shopping around. You can just get a good low price using their AI platform off your phone. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's a big competitive advantage, especially to the legacy players, to some of the other 
younger kind of nimbler competitors who are trying to do the same types of things that Lemonade is doing. I think it's yet to be seen whether they really have an advantage over those companies in, with this AI. Yeah, it's, I, I get a little like scared with the AI stuff, writing insurance, because I don't want them to make some detrimental error that they don't even know they're doing. Um, but yeah. it seems like they're taking the precautions. Okay, future growth opportunities. You want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. Uh, I think they have a huge runway to grow for the customer base. This one's simple. Um, they're not even at a million yet. And there's, you know, billions of people worldwide and they want to go to, there's probably, I don't know, 2 billion people that meet their criteria so far. Um, if, you know, if they can even write the same insurance products as Allstate and then go with a cheaper brand because they're using the AI chatbot and they're using, they don't have any um, physical stores. I mean, that's a giant advantage and they're going to be able to grow with that. So very simple, but yeah. I think the, I mean, I think it's a strong growth opportunity for them. Ian, what about you? Yeah, I think kind of one of those specific places they can go is auto insurance. It seems to me like that should be a logical next step. Um, people like bundling. It should be good for Lemonade to be able to just continue to pull more and more money from each customer that they already have, especially like you mentioned, these young customers who are maybe buying a car for the first time, that type of stuff. One, one um kind of roadblock to that. I think it is it is a future growth opportunity, but auto insurance, I assume one of the reasons they haven't already done this is auto insurance to me would seem like it's much harder to determine. It has much more frequent claims than you do for your house insurance. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. And then there's also the whole issue of fault at play with, um, you know, if you're getting in a car accident and whether, you know, who who's responsible and whose insurance pays for it. And so it seems to be a little bit more of a complex problem, but if they could solve it, I think that would be, um, a big growth opportunity for them. Right. And that's, that. yeah, that's a very real concern because not only, it, it's not like it's up to some claims provider to, it's not his discretion, right? It's yeah. AI. So it's hard to determine fault and program that in to determine it. So it obviously becomes much tougher that way. Um, future growth opportunities for me, I, I would like them to partner with rental companies or pro, like property management type companies. They did this with WeWork when WeWork rolled out their residential business or whatever it is. It's called like We Live members. We live. We live, we live right? Yeah, um, yeah. The power so by we. It, it would make a lot of sense for them to start with that or even as they start to expand out their offering, let's say they did auto insurance, health insurance, all that stuff, um, partnering with employers because a lot of young people get their first insurance policies from their employers. Um, and that's, you know, I, I'm sure the legacy providers have a bit of a moat or a bit of, um, I don't know, yeah. stranglehold on the employer's market, but it seems like a good place to start. Yeah. And I think even a growth opportunity is if these classic insurance companies just continue to spend billions a year on TV advertising, which is yeah. shown to be not effective for people younger than, you know, 35. Um, if they just continue to do that, that's, that's a, I don't know. That's I don't an know. advantage, I guess. And that's a growth opportunity. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball really far. That seems <laughs> that like seems it could so. really attract some customers. Yeah, they're going to get some strong ROIC there. All right. Um, last segment is highlights and lowlights. We'll let Ian go first. What do you got? Yeah, so the highlight I want to point out is they've had kind of a unique and interesting way of aligning interests of Lemonade and policyholders. They think that that's one of the big issues in, in insurance is that you know, the policyholders want to get as much money from the insurance company as they can. The insurance company wants to pay as little claims as it can, um, which creates just this constant conflict. The way that they've kind of set it up where they're donating the excess profits to, to um, charities of the choice of the policyholders, that creates this 
um, they're trying to make it where it's just this this good kind of loop where people don't want to try and steal more money from the greedy insurance company because it's just taking more money that could be going to nonprofits. So that it's kind of creating more honest claims and also that the insurance company can be happy paying those claims because they're not trying to keep every cent. They're, they've capped their profits basically. Um, which is just an interesting idea. I'm always kind of intrigued by interesting ways to go about solving underlying issues in an industry. Yeah. Sometimes when like a company says we're going to donate stuff to charity, a lot of times, you know, you roll your eyes because it's usually not material to the actual business. But in this case, I think it makes sense because it one, you know, it's a good thing and it increases their brand. And then two, it gets the customer off of their back from thinking that they're, you know, trying to be the evil insurance uh, provider. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Brett, what about you? Yeah. Did you get your low lights in or? Yeah. Let me, let me touch on a couple of low lights real quick. Um, one thing that's, you know, you could consider a highlight or a low light. They consider it a highlight, but I think they say that 90% of our customers said they were not switching from another carrier. Basically that this was their first insurance policy, which mm-hmm. is good in one sense, but I see it a little bit as a low light that they're not really being able to attract people who have existing policies and maybe someday they will, but to really grow this company, they can't, at least in my mind, they can't just keep getting people our age for the rest of time. Like if they do that for the next 50 years, it'll pay off. But um, I'd like to be able to see them penetrating that market a little bit more. Um, And then they're also just as some competition, I think with more of these kind of as we were talking about earlier, whether this AI platform is really a competitive advantage, whether some of these younger nimbler insurance companies that are right on their heels and should be coming public soon, um, whether they have similar technology and whether Lemonade really is going to be able to hit escape velocity and grow fast enough to escape this younger competition. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's almost like banks in terms of retention for some of the older people. Like once you latch on, there's no yeah. p- pivoting. Oh, I'd, say, I'd say it's very similar. Um, I guess you unless you in... have like a big dispute with your insurance provider. Yeah, which is true. So it's good that they're going after the younger target market, but that might saturate rather quickly and then growth might slow down, um, which you have to think about if you're going to invest, especially at this valuation. Yeah. Um, all right. You want me to go? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Highlights for me. Uh, you know, Ian mentioned it. it sounds a little cheesy, but their give back day sounds great. Uh, they're caring about all stakeholders. Sounds like they're legit on that. Um, Revenue growth, you know, is off the charts. Uh, I think we don't want to overlook that if they're growing revenue at 200% a year. Um, that can't continue forever, but I mean, that's just fantastic. And it seems like they started off at a competitive advantage, like a true competitive advantage versus the entrenched players. I mentioned yeah. the innovators dilemma earlier. I think they have that. They want those, you know, they're paying employees. They don't want to fire them. Um, that's going to take a while to get, uh, you know, fire them if they were going to. And they're just not going to take that risk to jump to this whole new business model right away, which is yeah. going to give Lemonade, um, at least against the other non-startups like Allstate, State Farm, et cetera. There's, you know, I think a dozen of them. That's going to give them a huge advantage. And then, yeah. oh, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. No, I mean, anytime uh, a legacy provider is forced to cannibalize its own business, that is a huge risk. And I, I believe um, Dan Schreiber talked about this on Business Casual. But those boards, those executive teams are instilled to keep this sort of legacy of of the business. And so taking a massive risk like that and cannibalizing your own business to possibly have a successful pivot, that's a huge jump that I don't think they'll ever make. And yeah, I think Lemonade has a a big advantage there. All right. um, Low lights. 
I mean, an insurer growing this fast seems risky to me. I don't know yeah. if it actually is, but growing all these, you know, premiums coming in, what if they're writing bad policy? Um, and they, it doesn't seem like they have much redundancy in the process, um, which does concern me a bit as well, because you want a little bit of redundancy in insurance just to make sure someone doesn't write a thousand policies or your AI bot doesn't write a thousand policies that are just terrible. Um, yeah. And then the renter's insurance also feels risky currently um, because a lot of people are not paying the rent. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that is tough. Um, and I guess having the reinsurance provider takes away some of that risk of like the, the downside about growing mm -hmm. fast as an insurance guy, as an insurance team. Um, yeah. Ian, Ian, any thoughts I was just going to, yeah, I was just going to add to that real quick. Um, that's another, I think, cause for concern a little bit is that they do rely heavily on these reinsurance partners. And so okay. if those relationships ever deteriorated, or if, like you said, Brett, if these turn out to be a lot of bad policies, these reinsurance partners are not going to continue to reinsure all their bad policies. And so um, in the future, if they, if, if there's a really bad year, you know, there's some, you know, major losses, they may have trouble sticking to this business model in the future. Right. Yeah. Right. All right, Ryan, wrap us up. With this. Yeah, they had, so highlight here, they have a lot of cash on hand because they need to. And they also got capital really easy. It seemed like, like their seed yeah. round was 13 million from Sequoia as soon as they launched. Yeah. And so I think the reason that they did that is because uh, insurance is a scale play, right? So claims matter, like huge claims where you have to pay it out matter a lot more when you don't have enough premiums to let the averages sort of play out. Classic scale game. Yeah. Yeah. So you need a, like basically a critical mass of customers in order to make it a guarantee that you're going to be making money. Um, and if they can reach that, that's great. But that that is sort of a downside as well. Um, Big highlight here is that the data-driven insurance and the cheaper insurance is long overdue. This feels like one of those industries that's literally been ripe for disruption for like 20 years and just no one really wanted to go after it. Um, but yeah, the, the other side, I guess you can look at the give back program as sort of a low light. It, it isn't. As an investor, maybe. It does take away some investable float. Um, yeah. And you also get investable float taken away by reinsurance providers. But in those early days, the reinsurance providers are going to be super necessary because yeah. like I said, claims matter more as a portion of your the premiums that are written. Because like, imagine if you have one bad year early on where people make a ton of claims, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, you want that reinsurance, at least if you're trying to grow this quickly. That is a good um, crutch in case they get into trouble. Yeah. All right, we good to go? Last, Last question. question. Yeah, more or less interested on Lemonade after this show. What do you guys think? Uh, who wants to go first? More. Right. More, more. I'm more. I'm a lot more interested. And the valuation right now... I mean, yeah, hopefully, it's not, we'll, hopefully we'll compress quickly. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to, I mean, they're not profitable, but the gross loss ratio is coming down. Revenue is obviously accelerating a lot. There's low overhead costs with the business. They're marketing a ton. 
Um, I mean, is it really the only, is it that simple where you should just look at the customer count? I feel like this business, it seems like it's too simple, but isn't customer count just what you need to look for? Yeah. Maybe. And, the, and that loss ratio, maybe. Loss yeah, customer ratio. count, loss ratio. And then if you throw in their, the average amount of premium they're getting from people as they continue to add additional products. And, you know, presumably as we get older and actually start buying <laughs> bigger houses and things like right. that, these premiums are going to increase too. So that's going to be a major driver, I think, for this business. Yeah. All right. Ian, are you, I'm assuming more interested. I actually have to say, I'm just a tad bit less interested. I went oh, back wow. and forth on this. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the space and in disrupting a legacy industry like this. Um, I, I'm not, I wasn't blown away by lemonade though. I'm a little bit worried about, I don't know that they're going to be the big winner out of this. I kind of wonder whether the legacy providers are going to pivot quickly. That's probably unlikely or whether one of these other, um, kind of younger competitors is going to step up. And like I said, I think there's a couple of them slated to go public in the next couple of years and whether they're going to step up and grab a big piece of this market. Yeah, the market could end up being commoditized um, and then this valuation might not work. But I, I'm definitely more interested. I never looked at them before. Um, obviously, the valuation is a concern as it has been from a lot of the companies we've talked about. But it seems like a good business model with some competition that is literally 100 years old. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. We all good. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. As always follow us on Twitter and give us show suggestions at chit chat money. You can follow Ian at Ian gray live. Um, and you can email us show suggestions. If you're not on Twitter at chit chat money podcast at gmail.com. Remember we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you for listening to this episode. We'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.